Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. It was very noticeable that there wasn't really anything in it for young people. Welcome to Political Fix, your essential insider guide to Westminster from the Financial Times. I'm Lucy Fisher. The FT's Claire Barrett there, host of our Money Clinic podcast on the government's autumn statement. We'll take a look at the £20 billion tax giveaway unveiled on Wednesday and what all this means for the Conservatives' chances at the next election. Claire joins me now in the studio. Hi, Claire. Hello. Also here are Political Fix regular George Parker. Hi, George. Hi there, Lucy. And the FT's economics commentator, Chris Giles. Hi, Chris. Hi, Lucy. Uh, you're a veteran of how many autumn statements, Chris? Uh, well, autumn statements specifically, about 30, and autumn statements of budgets, over 50. Great, so you can put this in some historical context for us. Well, it's always a big event here at the FT, reading the runes of uh, fiscal events like this. And today, FTHQ, Bracken House, has been a buzz. There's been smoke coming off the keyboards, George hasn't there in the parliamentary office. Because in some ways, this felt a, a bigger autumn statement than most. Here's how Jeremy Hunt sold his plans in the House of Commons today. We are delivering the biggest business tax cut in modern British history. The largest ever cut to employee and self-employed national insurance and the biggest package of tax cuts to be implemented since the 1980s. Chris, let's kick off with you then. Give us the economic picture. What are the headlines? Well, I think the headlines are are relatively straightforward, although uh, it's always slightly different to what the politicians necessarily say about them. So economic growth has been revised down quite significantly by the Office for Budget Responsibility. Inflation has been revised up quite significantly, again, by the OBR. Uh, And the combination, particularly of inflation being a lot higher, means that the OBR expects tax revenues to come in a lot stronger than before. So there's more earnings there, although it's not real growth or real earnings, but they are in nominal terms, in cash terms, higher. So you get £60 billion more in tax revenues by 2027-28 than the OBR thought in March. That's a big number. Pretty much all of that has been given away. Some of it has to go in higher benefits because inflation is higher and pensions quite a lot in higher debt interest because interest rates are higher. And then there's 20 billions of tax cuts. So the tax cuts basically are, you've been paying more in tax, a lot more, 60 billion, and we're going to give you 20 billion back. So Claire, how will households, individuals, workers, families be feeling after the measures announced today? Well, we've got a tax cut that really, in reality, isn't much of a tax cut. So 
those headline rates of national insurance are um, going to go down and going down by more than expected and a bit of clever expectation management um, by the Chancellor. So the average worker is going to be about £450 better off um, per year as a result of that change to national insurance, a bit less for self-employed people, about £350. But the highest earners could see their tax bills reduced by up to £750. So it sounds significant, but of course it doesn't get rid of this problem of fiscal drag at all. The tax thresholds are still frozen. Inflation is pushing up our pay, so more of our pay is being tipped into those higher tax bands. And that's really, really causing difficult pinch points for families because the £50,000 level at which child benefit starts to be tapered away, you know, that hasn't changed since 2013. If it had risen in line with inflation, it would be over 65000 before your child benefit um, started to be taken away. That's a really big bone of contention. And then for wealthier FT listeners, perhaps, the 100k um, point when you go through that, effectively, you've got a marginal tax rate of um, of 62% um, with income tax, national insurance, that's because you're paying back your personal allowance, which again, has been frozen. So fiscal drag did put a bit of a dampener on his big flagship announcement. But as you say, the triple lock, he's protected pensioners. I don't think anyone doubted uh, that that would be the case. Um, he's uprated benefits. Nothing on inheritance tax, which is interesting, because that got a lot of headlines mm. um, a, a, a few weeks ago. Um, and then finally, the speed at which he's pushing through this tax cut, I thought was very noticeable to happen in January if he can get HMRC to answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot to unpick there and we'll come back to some of those measures. Um, but George, just give us your appraisal of whether you think that this is going to move the dial with voters. Well, first of all, I'm glad to say, Lucy, that we've got a, um, some words being printed in the FT because half an hour before the autumn statement, all the power went off, didn't it, in the in the press <laughs> yes. gallery, in our antiquated uh, offices. So um, that's one one great relief. Look, I mean, how it's going to go down with voters, there's two sides to this, aren't there? And, and Chris and Claire have just described it very well. There's, there's the headline that the Treasury wants, which is a £20 billion tax cut, both on the business side, but also more personally on the national insurance side. But just reading some of the initial coverage and the Tory supporting papers, they're all drawing attention to the fact that, yeah, you're getting a bit off your tax bill, but as the OBR points out, tax burden overall is rising to its highest level since the war to 38% in any event. So I think that's going to be the the big problem with this. I think the one thing you can say about it, he has avoided doing some of the things which would have made little economic sense. I mean, for example, the inheritance tax cut that Claire mentioned, a lot of Tory MPs got cold feet about that idea. They thought this was actually not a particularly good idea at a time of cost of living crisis, giving money back to people with estates of over a million pounds. Quite. Um, however, you know, is it enough to move the dial? They've obviously left open the possibility that it does move the dial, haven't they? And as Claire said, the fact they're bringing forward this national insurance cut to January at least leaves open the option of an early general election in 2024 if the public buy into this, if the polls start to shift. But as we've often discussed before, no prime minister in their right mind goes to the polls when they're at least 20 points behind in the uh, opinion surveys. Might book a holiday for March then. I <laughs> should. <laughs> Chris, what, what's your reading of what this autumn statement means for the next election? As George says, that there's an option of it happening early, but I think it's going to happen late for exactly the reasons George says. And then it means we'll get another budget where we are still pretty tight on the public finances. Now, one thing is absolutely clear, that if if the public finances go as the OBR forecasts are, say, then this government is preparing to have a really quite tough um, 
reduction in borrowing. They'll get the public finances would look fine by the end of the decade. But public services would be in quite a difficult spot because they're about the 20 billion in tax cuts is about what it would have cost to protect public services against the additional inflation that the OBR has forecast um, in this round. And they got nothing. They got a little bit, but they got not very much uh, there. So for the election, I think most likely, because we talk in billions, they sound like very large numbers, but even the largest number I first said, the 60 billion number, in big terms is not that large. It's about 2 to 2.5% of national income. So these things, though they will be noticed, won't be noticed that much. It won't absolutely transform anyone's finances. Neither the fiscal drag nor giving some of that back in tax cuts, nor will this have a dramatic effect before the election on any public services, either good or bad. So my bet is it has a relatively small effect. Um, So it looks like the government might well be disappointed that come March, come April, when they were hoping it would have a bigger effect, they might have to do do it again in the budget. I'll just pick up Chris's point. I I don't think anyone thinks this is going to transform anyone's finances, and obviously not if taxes overall are starting to rise. But I guess the message here is we're on the right track. Mm, The old uh, John Major message in 1992 that you're signalling a path, as Jeremy Hunt put it, to lower taxation. And the other party would have a a different path. Mm, Mm. Well, I I think there's another sort of um, signal to my mind, George, that they are now going for this narrative of we're on the path to recovery, Mm. don't come back. And they've junked the idea of presenting Sunak as a change candidate. Because a couple of Tory MPs pointed out to me how Hunt... um, seemed to praise some of the uh, former policies of previous Tory administrations. He pointed out how um, some pupils in England had climbed the International Education League tables thanks to reforms undertaken during David Cameron's Mm -hmm. premiership. Similarly praised uh, Ian Duncan Smith for bringing in universal credit. Again, another of the Cameron legacies. Mm. So it does sound like they are moving away from pouring scorn on 13 years of uh, Tory uh, leadership, perhaps. Uh, Not surprising, having brought Cameron back into the fold. Um, George, do you think there are any traps they've laid for Labour? Where can you see Labour disagreeing with what the Tories have announced today? Well, that's a really good question. Just on your first point, I think it's fascinating, this idea of going back on the whole change narrative um, and you know, trashing your own legacy, your own record, is never a good idea, as Jeremy Corbyn found out, and to a lesser extent, Ed Miliband did when they were trying to distance themselves from Tony Blair. I think you've got to own your own track record in government. As far as the Labour Party is concerned, this is a really interesting facet, I think, of this autumn statement, that you listen to Rachel Reeves, the shadow chancellor, and she was making the point about the fact that growth has been been more or less static, that taxes have been going up overall. But there wasn't a single one of the measures in the autumn statement which she opposed. And Jeremy Hunt helpfully said at the start that there were 110-odd supply-side measures. There wasn't a single one that she opposed. And we clarified that with her team when they came around to our office and said, look, is there any of this you'd actually try to undo or will oppose? And frankly, the answer is no. Um, there was one interesting moment where Jeremy Hunt said that he was going to stop the benefits of people who didn't engage with the state in terms of going back into work um, when they were on sickness benefits. And there was a lot of jeering from the Labour benches. And I saw one of the Tory officials in the box clench his fists, fists in joy at the idea that Labour might be about to walk into a, a trap that they'd they set up, the idea that Labour was going to be soft on 
work-shy benefit claimants as they would try to frame it while they were the tax-cutting party on the side of working people. But Labour made it absolutely clear afterwards they weren't going to fall into that trap. They said the good thing about Tory traps is they normally have a big sign over them saying this is a trap (laughs) and you can find a way of walking around them. Claire, you've pointed out how there's something um, for everyone across the income spectrum, Mm. perhaps in this uh, autumn statement. Uh, On the one hand, wealthier um, earners getting a big tax cut. Uh, On the other hand, um, benefits are being uprated by the proper traditional September number rather than a a lower figure which had been um, speculated upon. We've seen the pension triple lock maintained, um, the living wage increased and local housing allowance unfrozen. Yeah. What about the um, intergenerational uh, unfairness that the Tories are often, um, a charge often levelled at them? Is there anything we've heard today that means that younger voters might be more amenable to the Conservatives? It was very noticeable that there wasn't really anything in it for young people, especially so as we were expecting there might be something on housing, maybe something on the help to buy ISA coming back or the lifetime ISA, which is a a tax efficient savings product for the under 40s to save up a deposit for their first home. Lots of people have been caught in a trap with the lifetime ISA because the property maximum property value is capped at 450,000. So they've been saving into it for um, a good six or seven years. Property prices have run away and now if they take their money out, they're going to be penalised. So lots of angst on Instagram, uh, where I spend a lot of time uh, listening to what younger voters and investors are up to. But on the other hand, there has been widespread relief that fractional investing, that's investing in fractions of shares, mostly in like the big US tech stocks, where you might have to spend more than £100 buying one individual share, more than £300 for for some of them, it's possible on online share trading platforms to have an ISA, tax efficient, and to buy fractions of, of shares in these companies. But HMRC had flagged this as something that they thought was against the rules. It's been a massive story um, in the FT. We know what our readers care about, and certainly the mention of it in the budget documents today that they're going to pave the way for fractional shares, some fractional shares, um, to be traded in ISAs. We've taken that to mean not derivatives. Um, So fractions of shares in Apple, Amazon, Google, etc. They're the really big ones that people want to trade. It's great. But as you say, nothing really there um, for younger voters. I mean, I don't know, George, does... Do the Conservatives care about younger voters? Is this, is this a battle that they sort of think they've lost? Or do you think that we might see something more property and, and housing related come the spring budget, potentially? Well, as Chris says, there's still time. But um, you do sometimes wonder. In fact, there was a little straw in the wind this week that the Young Conservative Network, I think it was mm. called, wasn't it, Lucy, disbanded itself because they, they basically had basically given up hope, essentially. We seem to be reading between the lines of what they said. So... No, I think it is a, it's a big problem. And we've seen opinion polls recently, YouGov poll, which found only 1% of people aged 18 to 24 were supporting the Tories. So you'd think that they would stand any chance of getting that demographic back or starting to rebuild support. They have to do more on, in the spring budget. Mm. And he did, of course, mention the childcare reforms, which will help people who are a bit older, um, including my own stepchildren. So please hurry up <laughs> um, and, and, and bring them in. But There wasn't much more detail um, today and there's still all kinds of debates going on about how these will be implemented, how the extra hours will actually be paid for, how nursery providers themselves are going to square the cost because, you know, they're largely in the dark and it doesn't really instil um, confidence. 
Can I ask you just very briefly on the lifetime ISA reforms? I know you were really um, beating the drum for the Chancellor to do that. Some lesser consumer champions also had raised it. What would be the government's reasons for not doing it? I think the problem is when you give a tax break to people who can afford to buy a home that's worth more than £450,000, it does tend to fall into the inheritance tax bucket of... Should we be enabling this during a cost of living crisis? I would have been happy if they'd said, we'll remove the penalty for people who can no longer use this product as it were originally intended. Because you get a 25% government bonus, but if you take money out, a 25% charge is applied. So a bit hard sometimes for people to work out that actually the 25% charge on the withdrawal is worth more money than the 25% bonus on the way in. You effectively lose about six and a quarter percent of your savings. I'm looking at you, Chris. <laughs> I always come to you with my with my maths queries um, to, to check. So that's, you know, a lot of money you can see in the ISA statistics year on year. Millions of pounds um, in those um, fines and penalties is being taken back by the Treasury from the younger people who most needed help to buy a property. So it would have been great if we had at least seen that withdrawn, but enabling a generation of young investors to keep using stocks and shares ISAs to invest in the way that they want to, I think that's great because it would have been really damaging if they'd had their money moved out of an ISA to a general investment account. It would have caused disruption. It's already caused a lot of fear among investors. And Jeremy Hunt's budget today was all about investing in mm. businesses mm. and also um, trying to encourage retail investors to get back into the stock market with that um, unexpected announcement about the government flogging off its stake in NatWest. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let, let's pause a moment on that big business tax cut, Chris. I mean, is it fair for the government, firstly, to try and present it as the biggest business tax cut in modern history, given it's slightly just offsetting uh, an increase in corporation tax? I mean, the truthful answer is no, it's simply not fair, because not only did they raise the rate from 19% to 25% and then give some of that back in higher allowances, which they've now made permanent, which is a uh, everyone thinks is a good thing. Um, it's also, you know, when you looked at the number and the extent of George Osborne's cuts in corporate tax, which might not have come in one go, mm. uh, and I'm sure there's they've been playing silly games on inflation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But no, is the, is the short answer. We saw big, really big, genuine cuts in corporate tax under George Osborne. Then we saw a very big rise under mm -hmm. Rishi Sunak, which he announced it in 2021. And now we've seen some of that rise given back uh, in a in an increase in business investment allowances. Uh, and that will really quite will offset some of the pain of the um, increased rate of corporation tax, 25%. Um, but, you know, it, it's 10 billion quid, roughly, and it raises GDP five years out by 0.3%, according to the OBR. So that is about, about 10 billion. So it's 10 billion a year, and you get uh, roughly a similar amount as a level shift, not as an every year. So, I mean, shareholders get quite a bit. So you, you spend quite a lot of money. Private investment goes up. Shareholders take some of the money as well. Companies pay less in total. It's a probably a better um, overall corporate tax system, but really it's not the biggest cut ever. 
And um, he really shouldn't say things like that because he just gets everyone going, well, is it really? And most people say no. So to conclude, George, is this an election winning fiscal statement? Well, you'll meet lots of Tory MPs and indeed some people in the cabinet who say if you've got £11 billion to throw around, should you be spending on full expensing, something which the vast majority of voters wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. But I think uh, lots of business groups have been asking for this to put the investment um, framework on a more permanent footing. And I think it's something that the FT we would welcome. I think see, it's a responsible thing for a government to do only a year out from an election. But does it win many votes? Probably not. But the other thing that you meet some Tory MPs are saying they'd much rather, on the personal side of tax, he'd gone for income tax rather than national insurance. Now, national insurance, you can make a very good case for doing national insurance. It's focused on working people rather than necessarily pensioners and people with investments. It's more targeted. Um, but if you're looking for a headline-grabbing announcement in the Daily Mail or the Sun, 1p off income tax is a much easier thing to do. Lots of people, frankly, don't understand what national insurance is. I was also very impressed that they explicitly mention small businesses. Mm. So when you look at like the number of businesses in the UK, the small businesses really are the backbone of our economy. And an issue that I've campaigned about for years and years, which is late payments. Small businesses fail in great numbers every year just because they're waiting to to get paid, often by much bigger companies. And anything that can be done to accelerate the kind of reforms in that area that the Chancellor was talking about, you know, benchmarking big companies that contract to the government on the basis of how well they're paying their smaller and medium-sized suppliers. Um, that was the nearest I think I got to clapping um, <laughs> in the statement today. Now, we usually wind up Political Fix by picking those who we think have seen their political stock rise or fall this week. So, Chris, you first. Who are you buying or selling? Well, I'm going to take a slightly controversial thing. And even though the Chancellor said the economy has now turned the corner, it's looking up, I'm going to sell the UK economy because <laughs> I think growth being revised down, inflation being revised up is not really the sort of revisions we want to see in an autumn statement. Right, well, that's pretty damning. Uh, Claire, how about you? <laughs> well, I was going to say I'll sell the idea of buying shares in that West in this great Telsid privatisation drive. One of my younger colleagues said when we were watching the statement, who's Sid? Which instantly made me feel very old. But seeing as Chris is very down on the UK economy, I will be more positive um, about the Australian rules that they could soon bring in to company pension schemes. Now, spoiler, I've written my FT column on this tonight, so you can read my views in full um, in that. But this is the idea of having a pot for life that you take with you between jobs, like they do in Australia, rather than having a pension provider chosen for you by your employer. And they've launched a consultation um, at the Autumn Statement today, which would give workers the legal right to nominate what pension scheme they want their company to pay their contributions into, which as somebody who's been calling for greater competition, better customer service in this market, I think that would be something I would buy into in droves. Great. Well, Claire, I'll put your article in the show notes um, so it's free to read for Political Fix listeners. George, how about you? Well, I was going to say I'm going to sell Sid. Oh! <laughs> the, the, the notional retail investor in shares from the Thatcher Right privatisations. I found myself in the huddle after the budget literally having to explain to my much younger colleagues who Sid was. I have to admit, I... I you had no, I idea, no idea, I'm so, not, I'm not so, young. So Sid, for our, for our younger <laughs> listeners, which I mean probably only under the age of 40, was someone who 
um, featured in an advert. I think it was for British, British Gas, gas. British yeah. gas privatisation. 1986. 1986. And uh, Margaret Thatcher wanted the whole country to take part in capitalism and buy shares in these pri- soon-to-be-privatised industries. The, the advert featured people going around, tell Sid, tell Sid. So that's who Sid is. So I'm selling Sid because no one's heard of him. Can I put on hold Jeremy Hunt? I thought within the fiscal constraints he's operating under and the political constraints as well, I thought the autumn statement actually struck a pretty good balance between the retail election winning stuff on the personal side of taxes that he had to do and making a responsible decision in terms of some of the serious supply side reforms, including the full expensing thing we were talking about. The reason I'm putting him on hold is because I'm not entirely sure how the Tory press are going to respond. And if the headlines that we see tomorrow are unfavourable or draw attention to the fact that taxes are still going up and the whole thing looks like a bit of a damp squib politically, then I think one would have to put him into the cell column. And Lucy, how about you? Well, moving away from the autumn statement for a moment and shifting to the COVID inquiry, I am buying Patrick Vallance, the former chief scientific advisor during the pandemic. Extracts from his diaries have been absolutely rocking the inquiry. And what's really interesting is that so many other of the key players just didn't keep contemporaneous notes like he did. So he's the one um, who is really shaping uh, the narrative and many aren't able to sort of remember or categorically uh, deny or rule out they said the things that he uh, charged them as saying. So I suspect there's a mega book deal coming down the line. Claire, Chris and George, thanks very much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the FT's Political Fix. As I mentioned, I've put free links to subjects discussed in this episode in the show notes. There's also a link there to Stephen's award-winning Inside Politics newsletter. You'll get 30 days free. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. That way you get new editions as soon as they're released. Political Fix was presented by me, Lucy Fisher, and produced by Audrey Tinlin. Manuela Saragossa is the executive producer. Original music and sound engineering by Breen Turner. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. We'll meet again here next week. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.